This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Hello, America. Welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. I'm so glad that you're here today. We have amazing audio from this nine-year-old girl whose father was killed in Dallas as one of the police officers. Just heart-wrenching. Also, the president spoke at the memorial yesterday. Um, He needed 44 minutes uh, to uh, salute the police officers. Well, he did more than salute the police officers. A little more. He did about 43 minutes more than that. Um, but I learned a lot. In fact, I learned I learned something that I think is going to be so amazing. I want to give you a second to pull your car over because it's so shocking that you you may drive into a telephone pole. So get, get, I'm going to give you a set. I just give you a second to pull your car over for this amazing lesson that I learned yesterday, and we begin there right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Dallas Police Sergeant Mike Smith, two years away from retirement, he was fatally shot on Thursday night. Just before this 28-year-old veteran began what would be his last shift, he saw his nine-year-old daughter, and he was walking out of the house. They were saying goodbye, and he said something to her he had never said before. Here is his nine-year-old daughter yesterday. I was leaving to go to work, and I was leaving to go to a movie, and he said to me, what if this is the last time you ever kissed me or hugged me? Did he always say that? No. That was probably the first time he ever said that. Was this kiss any different? Yes, it was. How? Oh. It just felt different to me. I thought something bad was going to happen. He's awful. Unbelievable. Wow. These Mm. police officers, I mean, I know there are bad guys. There are some bad guys. There's bad guys in everything. There are bad bakers. There are bad, you know, uh, bus drivers. There are bad people. But in comparison to the average population, if you look for bad guys, our military and our police force has fewer bad guys than any other 
cross-section of society. And yet they're, they're vilified all the time. I said to Pat this morning, Pat, being one of my best friends forever, I said, Pat, if by some strange coincidence I die, and maybe because he's coming to celebrate, but the president comes to my memorial service, and he starts doing what he did yesterday, I demand that you get up and wheel my coffin out of the room. <laughs> I, I will tell you, if this was my father, my brother, my son, unbelievable, and the president did what he did yesterday, I swear to you, I would have gotten up and wheeled my, my son's coffin out of the room. All this was was a continuation of his divisive agenda to separate us by race and, and guns. gun control. Now, here's what I learned yesterday from the president. It is easier for a kid to get a gun in America yep. than a book. Mm. That's Did why you know that? We, yeah, we have nah. over uh, 900 guns in, a house, in our house and no books. Really? Zero. Yeah, really? We, we've got shelves and shelves, I will tell shelves you of guns. I went, into, I went into Walmart. Mm. I went into Walmart. All I, did, all I wanted to do was buy a book for yeah. my kids. We were Find one, right? Yeah. Well, no, I found them. Did? Yeah, but it took me like almost four hours to fill out the paperwork. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, you could go to Walmart and you could just go and buy a gun, but it took me hours and hours to fill uh, out the paperwork so on this book. hard to get Oh, it was crazy. So hard. So hard. And then a computer, too. Here's what he said yesterday. As a society, we choose to underinvest in decent schools. Okay, again. Another lie, another false right. premise. We have we spend more per student than anyone in the world. Than anyone in, in the, the world. world. Now wait a minute. Hang on just a second. Because what I thought of before that, Pat, was this is a memorial service. Right. And what is this? Why is he talking about schools? That's right. Yep. This is That's to right. memorialize what these men did. Yes. Exactly right. It's outrageous. Apart from the lie, and apart from the spin, and apart from his agenda, it's a memorial service. I swear to you, police officers. I swear to you, I will haunt you guys for the rest. If I don't hear <laughs> underneath my dead body the squeaking of the wheel <laughs> as it's being rolled out of the room, I will haunt you for the rest of my for the rest of your lives. <laughs> did you actually? Did you see the whole thing? By the way. No. Because I watched uh, way too much of it. Um, uh, and It's terrible. I, went- I, I would say, like, I would not be surprised if people in his circle thought, said to him, you can't, uh, that's, you can't say, you can't say these things about the positive things about the police officers. It, it strikes me as he goes into these things and he thinks if I say a few nice things about police, oh, he does that every always. Time, yes, that I can get away with, with everything saying else. Of my gun agenda and my school agenda yeah. and my agenda on farming subsidies or whatever the hell else he was talking about in that thing. That's what he does. That's he his thinks life. like because he did have a few moments oh, that does. would make Black Lives Matter matter uncomfortable. There are a few moments in there, and and he went far enough to actually make them a little bit uncomfortable. And I think he thinks, well, I'm being balanced, therefore. 
I'm allowed to come out and say all these things. First of all, there's no balance at a freaking memorial. This is not a place to debate these issues. Nothing, no place. You want to talk? They wouldn't accept a picture of George W. Bush in Air Force One years after 9-11. But this guy, because he's politicizing death and a tragedy, this guy can go to the memorial service with, did you read how it's expressed in the papers today? Standing in front of a sea of caskets, President Obama made his point. Standing in front of a sea of caskets, He's making a political point. I swear to you, what is the thing you're learning today? What is the thing you have to take away from this Uh, show? Push your casket out of the room. Thank you. (laughs) My gosh. The other thing I'm learning is it's been a long time since we've even paid attention to this guy. Because every time you you focus on him, you're reminded just how despicable this guy is. Just how unbelievably bad he is and how I can't wait till he's out of office. Except the next one's going to be at least as bad. Uh, But there was much more. We allow poverty to fester so that entire neighborhoods offer no prospect for gainful employment. Do we? How the hell do we allow poverty to fester? How how do we do that? We do everything we can. We've had a war on poverty where we've spent $22 trillion. Okay, hang on just a second. Just the $22 trillion. And who is who is trapping people in poverty? Who's trapping people he in is. poverty? The, the government is. The, the, the progressive yes. movement right. is trapping people in poverty, yeah. period. Yeah. And they are exploiting that poverty by dividing the rich and the poor. I, you, know what, you know what the first shot heard around the world really is? Our version of the first shot heard around the world. The police acted stupidly. Thank you. Nope. No doubt about that. No doubt. The shot heard around the world in these race riots is the police acted stupidly. I have nothing. I don't have all the information, so I don't want to comment. That was the first time he said that. But but the police acted stupidly. And then after he tried to make up for it with the beer summit. There's no beer there's summit. enough beer summits in the world to make up for the shot. <laughs> no. no, but that was, I'm telling you, that's the beginning of this. Yeah. He essentially echoed those comments again at the memorial service last, yesterday. I mean, he essentially said, you know, we know. He kept saying, we know this. We know this. Like, you're on my side. We all know this. And he kept going into, well, we can't say that, you know. He didn't say stupidly. He certainly avoided that word. But he essentially paraphrased that remark, saying that, you know, police sometimes, you know, it's not all just this crazy made-up thing by black people. Um, you know, we know that we sometimes the police get in there and, and things, I want to say, it didn't say clumsily. It was a word that was like similar to that, though. It was a, a word of, it wasn't stupidly, because he certainly knew that he shouldn't be saying that word. But it was, again, like we should all recognize here as I stand in front of the caskets of these slain police officers that the police really are at fault for a lot of this. Wow. That I was, I would say, something. the point of it. I have to tell wow. you something. Wow. I, I, I will. You heard me yesterday saying we have to listen to each other. We have to be we have to recognize the faults of the past. I will do that. I will recognize the faults of the past and I will root out the bad guys now. But I have got news for you. 
the guy who was shot in uh, Minneapolis, the guy who said, I have a gun, okay? And mm. apparently he was reaching for his wallet. Now, we don't know what the police, we don't know what he said to the police. We don't have any idea. We do know that it's very weird that his girlfriend just started Facebooking and making a political statement with her boyfriend bleeding out in the seat next to her and her daughter in the back seat. You don't comfort your daughter. Your first thought is to is to do a, a political statement on Facebook calmly. It's bizarre, absolutely bizarre. Her daughter wasn't screaming, which tells you something is wrong. Her daughter isn't screaming. A guy's just been shot. Can you imagine how your children, what has this child been exposed to, mm-hmm. to where they're not freaking out? Okay. And if you remember, the police officer came up and he was Asian and freaking out. Freaking out. He was going to pull his gun on me. He was, a, and you can see he's, his hands are shaking as he's still pointing it to the guy. He's freaking out. Now, I want to put you in, uh, uh, if I say to a police officer and they pull me over, and I always do, with my hands at 10 and 2, officer, I have a gun. I'm a concealed weapons permit holder. Mm -hmm. And he can see I'm not moving. Now, they have never asked me to get out of the car or hand over my gun, but I got news for you. I'm not reaching back for my gun. I'm not reaching for my wallet. If I'm going to reach for my wallet, I will say, officer, because it's right here on my hip where it, it always is, except today, it's kind of pointed strangely at Stu. Oh, my shame. Gosh. Yeah. So if I, uh, it, it, it's on my hip, I would say, officer, it's right here. I want you to see it. He could pull you if you want to take it out. That's fine. If you want me to reach down and get it, you want me to get out of the car, fine. But I'm not going, hey, I've got a gun as I'm reaching for my wallet. Would never do that. Not smart. In this time period where cops are being shot, you have to be extra careful with them. Mm -hmm. All of us do. Because they don't know who the bad guys... Can you imagine walking up to cars as a cop today? You know you could walk up to a car and you could be shot. Every time you get out of your car to give somebody a ticket, you could be shot. Honey, what if this is... You know when you are walking out the door, you look at your kids, it might be the last time they kiss you goodbye. Every wife of every cop is thinking this may be, I can guarantee you that every wife or every husband of a cop has said to them, you got to get out of this. This is crazy. This is going to get crazy. You got to get out of this now. You know that conversation has happened in the last week. And we just treat them like, well, this is their everyday stuff. No person can handle everyday pressure like that. No person. And expect that in a country of 350 million people that we're not going to have some, some people being shot? That A, there's no bad people on any police force? And B, that we're not going to have people freaking out in this particular climate? 
It's obscene. It's just obscene. We listen to the rest of this. Like, In a minute, mm, I've got to come back. Um, first, let me tell you about. Let me tell you about Dinesh D'Souza's new film, 2016. 2016. Um, you know, Dinesh D'Souza is an amazing guy because he is the first guy to be locked up in prison. He was, I think, America's first political prisoner of the 21st century. An American citizen locked up for things that nobody gets locked up for, but shut Dinesh D'Souza up and discredit him. So he came out with his last movie. What was it? Uh, Barack Obama's. Uh, yeah. Uh, whatever. 20, 26, 20, was it a, 2014 or I don't remember what it was. 2012. I'm getting used. I know it's a number. <laughs> yeah, I know. So anyway, <laughs> it was 2016. It was 2016. Um, and then and he said, this is what America is going to look like. And he's right. Now he's come up with a new one, and it's called Hillary's America. It's an expose not only of Hillary Clinton, but it is also an expose of progressivism and the Democratic Party. If there's Democrats that go to see this movie, you go with your Google. This is a time where you can go with Google and, and verify all the facts on this one. But you go and you watch this movie, there's not a Democrat that will be in the theater that will say... I, I knew all of that, and I'm comfortable with it. When you see the roots of progressivism and who the Democratic Party really is historically, and then you put the progressivism of Hillary Clinton on top, it's a, quite a wake-up call. It's produced by uh, Academy Award-winning uh, Gerald Mullen, who is a friend of ours. He did Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. Um, it's a film that everybody needs to see before they vote. Hillary's America. It opens in theaters nationwide, July 22nd. Hillary's America by one of our new and most important voices in film, uh, Dinesh D'Souza. There's a reason they put him in prison and they should have thrown away the key if they wanted to stop him. Hillary's America in theaters nationwide, July 22nd. Make sure you see it. Glenn Beck. Want to see Glenn live? If you're coming to Texas, you can. Join us at Mercury Studios in Dallas for a taping of Glenn's television show. To reserve your seat, email tickets at glennbeck.com with your information. That's tickets at glennbeck.com. Mercury. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Uh, looks like Mike Pence is going to be the vice presidential nominee. Uh, I mean, it, it does look that way. It's supposed to be what Donald Trump said he would appear with the vice presidential nominee on Friday. Yeah, a couple of other pieces of this. Friday is the deadline for Pence to drop out of the Indiana governor race. So he would need to do that. I believe he can't run for both in Indiana. Um, but he, he, like tomorrow being the day, or excuse me, Friday, two days from now, will be the day that he 
would have to drop out so they could have another candidate and, and everything. Um, and he's in a close race there, which is part of the reason. It's interesting because usually don't they don't they announce at the convention? Uh, usually it's a little bit before that. But but Trump himself promised it would happen at the convention because he wanted the drama of the moment. Right. He can't do it at the convention if it's Pence, which is why people are saying now that they think it's going to be Pence. Add on to that what's happening uh, as right we speak. Now. Donald Trump, Ivanka Trump, uh, Don Jr., and Jared Kushner, who is a big advisor, he is uh, married to Ivanka Trump, have all just walked into Mike Pence's home. Um, so they're having breakfast. That's fun. It may very well be they're having breakfast. They had dinner last night, and they had a rally together yesterday. Perhaps they're just having breakfast. Uh, I mean, look, those Indiana breakfasts are legendary. But uh, as of right now, uh, the speculation... They know Shoney's, but it's still an Indiana breakfast. I will say this, too. Uh, some of the online sports books um, have pulled the GOP VP race off of their books so you can no longer put money on them. A lot of times that indicates that there's been a big influx of money on a particular candidate, and they're, like, thinking there might be inside information already. So that's where we stand at the moment. We should know by the end of the week, though. More on the wonderful, beautiful, tender, moving, moving and memorializing things that we learned from President Obama yesterday at the uh, memorial service for police officers when we come back. The Glenn Beck Program. not dwell on this let's just try to get through the president's speech Hard. yesterday All right, we got through six seconds last time yeah, so 44 44 minutes at a memorial service he mentioned himself 45 times so just over once per minute he mentioned himself in this speech yesterday and uh and we're just gonna uh, highlight uh you know all the political parts of it so uh, mm-hmm. about 43 minutes of of that speech here we go as a society we choose to underinvest in decent schools absolutely false we allow poverty to fester no so way. that entire neighborhoods offer no prospect for gainful employment again false uh, we refuse to fund drug treatment and mental health programs what where, where is that now, one of those statements is true we flood communities with so many guns that it is easier for a teenager to buy a Glock than get his hands on a computer or even a book. It is, think of that, it is easier for a kid to get their hands on a Glock than a book. It's just asinine. Or a computer. It's just asinine. It's crazy. It's over-the-top hyperbole rhetoric political bullcrap at a memorial service for five slain officers. I want to read something from the new book, Liars, which is brilliant, uh, brilliantly written and researched. I don't know who the author is at this point. Comes out in name is in giant red lettering on it. Um, in the spring, uh, this is from line number one, page 197. 
In the spring of 1922, a group of men in sober, dark suits met in a small hotel ballroom just a few blocks away from the U.S. Capitol. At the head of a square table sat the meeting's leader, a small, framed, unassuming man wearing wire-rimmed glasses that perched above his neatly trimmed mustache. He straightened his papers in front of him, cleared his throat, and read a short, prepared statement to the group assembled government officials in the Prohibition Bureau. Prohibition Bureau. This is going to sound outdated until the very end. The Prohibition. We don't have Prohibition anymore. We've made good progress in our efforts to forever stamp out the scourge of human inebriation, having won the amendment to our beloved Constitution, making the manufacture and ownership of liquor as illegal as the ownership of slaves. However, as long as any of our fellow citizens remain trapped by their inability to resist the temptation to drink, there is still more we can do to protect our citizens, their wives, and their children. He read on to that silent group and proposed a plan that would help ensure that the government could both identify and treat those citizens who still violated their hard-won temperance laws. It was simple. They would add poisonous wood alcohol to bottles of whiskey and then make sure that those tainted bottles made their way into the speakeasies and the back alley bars that had popped up around the country in response to the 18th Amendment. When people broke the law by consuming the whiskey, they would get extremely sick and die, enabling the government to identify the lawbreakers and also discover exactly where alcohol was being distributed. The room the federal government employees listened, nodded, and left to go dutifully about their business of poisoning and killing thousands of their fellow citizens. 87 years later... Government officials in the agency that replaced the Prohibition Bureau. What is the agency that replaced the Prohibition Bureau? Because the Prohibition Bureau was concerned with alcohol. Oh, I wonder if it is the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, tobacco, firearms? Firearms. The ATF, those people, their predecessors, the ones who had that office prior, were poisoning alcohol and killing up to 50,000 Americans, all documented, all footnoted. It shows there is just no way that the government ever sees an end the ends always justify, or the the uh, ends always justify the means. And if they can't stop something, they just haven't gone far enough. Now, so you know, the probe because they've changed, and it's outrageous to say that the ATF or anybody in the government would ever do anything like that, right? That's crazy. That was 1922. They would never, ever, ever, ever do that. Except the FDA, uh, the ATF was the one that initiated the program to, sol- to sell assault rifles to known gun runners and drug traffickers. The plan was simple in theory. By arming drug lo- warlords with traceable firearms, they could identify the chain of black market firearms dealers who were enabling drug dealers to be so heavily armed. So wait a minute. They put poison in alcohol let it go out in the black market so it would kill people, which would lead them to where 
this chain was. And yes, if it killed people, they were probably in the alcohol business anyway, or they were inebriates that couldn't stop themselves. So they're going to pay a price, but they already kind of knew because they're kind of involved anyway. They're breaking the law. That's what they did in 22. This time, the same agency released 2,000 guns to warlords. And by the way, just an update, uh, the first time we ever heard about this, and we still don't talk about it, and we still don't have answers on it, and nobody's been held responsible, two of those guns were used to kill two of our border guards. Those were the first murders. Operation Fast and Furious. Then, I don't know if you know this, we found uh, more guns with El Chapo. Remember who El Chapo is? Who's El Chapo? He's a drug lord. lord. And how do we know him from pop culture recently? Oh, he's broken out of prison a few times. And Sean Penn. Sean Penn. What a great guy El Chapo is. Well, El Chapo... When we went in to arrest him, guess who also had guns that had been run by the ATF? El Chapo. Oh, and there's this story that came out while we were on vacation. One of the guns used by terrorists to shoot up Paris November 13 originated in Phoenix, Arizona through the Fast and Furious program. So as they were killing people... Islamic terrorists were killing people on the streets of Paris. It was the gun the Obama administration put out with the drug lords. With Wait a minute, hang on just a second. So that doesn't just mean that they are, the government is responsible in some way of playing a role in the Paris attacks. They provided the guns, but that also leads you to believe that if people like El Chapo, the gun-running drug lords on the border, it shows that there is a connection between them and terrorists because they're running guns from our border to France for the terrorists. So that would also tell us that maybe we should pay attention to the border and it's not so crazy that our, border, uh, that our border drug lords and the people who have control of the southern part of the border are actually involved with terrorism. It's just a- Nothing has changed. Unbelievable. Nothing has changed. Are you sure it wasn't just they just mailed it to the wrong address? Right. Like, well, that, that's, to, that, that could have been. Could we have make been. it through the entire Obama speech or no, we, we got it all Pat. we got we, we, we heard another 10 seconds or so hang on just a second i want to just do this i want to just do this one thing page 200 of the new book called lies or i'm sorry liars this is a this is a really this is one of the three books that i want to write before i die um to get information out this is the truth about the progressive movement history and today brings you to today but i want you to remember what the president just said was they have access to more books. They could get it. It's easier to get a Glock than a book. Okay, well, that's a problem then. That's a problem with culture. Because my kids are not looking for a Glock. That's a problem with the families. Because my kids won't be given a Glock. They won't be given the opportunity to get a Glock. 
My kids would have no idea where to get a Glock. They do know where to get a book. They do know that you go to Cabela's to get a gun, but my 10 and 11-year-old can't buy one at Cabela's or Walmart. But they can go in and buy a book. So there's a problem with the culture then, Mr. President. If you believe that to be true, then we should not be talking about the gunning down of of people in the streets of Dallas. You should be giving speeches in the inner cities of Chicago and Philadelphia and Detroit. So you know, according to the National Safety Council, one in every 358 Americans will be killed by a firearm. That's amazing. One in every 358 will be killed by a firearm. However, one in every 144 Americans will be killed by falling. One in and gravity. Yeah, is that is that? I don't think gravity is. We're going to ban gravity. Um, one in 112 Americans will be killed in a car crash. Why aren't we banning these dangerous cars? They're working on that. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I know. One in 109 Americans will die of unintentional poisoning, as opposed to the very, very much intentional poisoning that the Bureau of Alcohol did in the 1920s. One in every 100 Americans will commit suicide. One in seven Americans will die from heart disease or cancer. Which one is the scourge on humanity right now what are the things we can't stop everybody from from falling we can do our best we can put guardrails up and we can do our best but let me tell you did you hear about the woman who fell into the grand canyon you hear about this no okay she 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 um was at the grand canyon and was she on the american side do anybody does anybody know actually i don't know that Look that up. I bet she was on the American side. I went to the Grand Canyon, but I went to the Grand Canyon on the uh, Native American side. And it was the most hair-raising. You you know that big glass porch thing that goes over the Grand Grand, Grand Canyon? Um, I I walked on that. That I mean, your butt will clench so tight you don't think you'll ever open up again. It is freaky. To walk, the Empire State Building can fit underneath that. So it is, you are just hovering in space. And the walls, the guardrails, are all glass too. So your kids are running on a glass floor and they go and they run and put their hands on the glass railing. And you're like, okay, the kids weren't freaked out at all. I still haven't been able to go poop. Okay, it's been years. Anyway, it's serious. Anyway, freak you out. Outside of that, on the cliff, you park your car and there's a little curb and you get out and you can walk to the cliff where it's just kind of loose gravel that falls down the length of the Empire State Building. And we had a guide with us and I said, wow, no fence no nothing and he said no you're not in america anymore and i said oh 
thinking that's not necessarily a good thing. And he said, you know, it's really interesting. More people die on your side than our side. We don't usually lose people on our side. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, was it very clear when you got out of the car, you could die here? And I said, yes. And he said, on your side, you make everything so safe that there's no way that they'd allow me to do this <laughs> if it wasn't safe. And so people fall over the edge of your fences because they climb on top thinking, well, there's no way they would build it higher if I, they didn't expect me to lean way over the side of this <laughs> fence. He's like, here, natural selection happens. People know they can die. Maybe we should, maybe we should, maybe we should remind people that you're responsible for your own life. And now this, government's attempt to um, grab more guns, driving the demand up for more guns. Americans are turning now to Liberty Safe. I mean, because, I mean, I keep my books in my safe. I keep my guns on the bookshelves in the house, but it's only because I want my kids to have more access to guns and less access to books. Um, but you might want to do it the other way. You might want to put your guns in a Liberty safe. Now producing 450 safes a day just to meet the demand of gun safes right now. They have a great tactical safe. If you want to keep everything in your safe, they have all kinds of, all kinds of different safes. But they have one just for, you know, where you keep your guns and everything, if that's all you want to keep in it. A tactical safe that's really, really cool. 450 safes a day built here in America. Secure your valuable items. Don't risk a cheap foreign brand. Nobody's getting into my Liberty safe. Nobody's jacking it and taking it. Uh, nobody's opening it up. And my guns and everything safe, whether it's from a robber, from a tornado, or from a fire. Made in America with a lifetime warranty. LibertySafe.com, the number one website for gun safes and handgun vaults, 450 dealers nationwide. Go to LibertySafe.com and get free curbside delivery right now. LibertySafe.com. In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck takes on some of the most pervasive lies and destroys the false promises of progressivism by taking you through its history. Get the truth in Liars, the new book by Glenn Beck. Available August 2nd. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck program. I I have to ask. I got back from vacation less than a week ago, and I came back on Thursday, and this seems like the longest seven-day period of my life. It's the longest, it's the longest you know, five-day month I've ever seen. <laughs> this is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.
Welcome to the program. Tonight, The Blaze airs the exclusive interview with the family of the Dallas shooter. Lawrence Jones, who conducted the interview, will join us and uh, bring us some new clips of what was said in this interview. But first, part two of our serial on the powerful people who actually bankroll the progressive causes that I happen to abhor. Today, we focus on people that dwarf the uh, uh, the uh, the brothers. What are the brothers' name? The Koch brothers. Dwarf them. Tom and Jim Steyer. We start there right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Among non-elected officials, it might be hard to find two private citizens more demonized than Charles and David Koch. As we showed you in an earlier episode, the billionaire brothers are continually attacked and vilified by the left for donating money to causes that they actually believe in. Jim Steyer and his billionaire brother, Tom also donate millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, to their favorite causes. Yet, have you ever heard of Jim and Tom Steyer? Since people like Senator Harry Reid approve of the causes that receive the Steyer money, they don't receive any Senate floor diatribes from the senator. And even though Tom was one of the hated evil hedge fund managers who make too much money, contributed to the dreaded income inequality in this country, still no outrage. But maybe this will do it. Steyer was also an executive for another favorite villain, Goldman Sachs. Nope. Nothing. No outrage. Senator Harry Reid and the left's hypocrisy on this issue is so apparent that a conservative group used what Reed said about the Koch brothers and inserted the Steyer brothers instead. Senate Democratic leader Harry Reid is on the attack. What is un-American is when shadowy billionaires pour unlimited money into our democracy to rig the system. Billionaires like Tom Steyer, who just hosted Reid and other Senate Democrats at his San Francisco mansion. Steyer has a history of environmentally destructive business ventures, and he wants regulators to strangle energy opportunities here in America, even though he helped finance the second largest coal company in Indonesia. You see, when you make billions of dollars a year, you can be, I guess, as immoral and dishonest as your money will allow you to be. Now Steyer wants Harry Reid's help to kill the Keystone Pipeline and impose huge new energy taxes to hurt our economy. That's why Tom Steyer and his brother Jim are spending millions to finance campaigns that support liberals who will keep Harry Reid in charge of the Senate. This is about two very wealthy brothers who intend to buy their own Congress. Call your senators. Tell them to stand up to the Steyer brothers. Support the Keystone Pipeline and say no to the special interests advocating new energy taxes. In actuality, Jim Steyer is simply rich. And while active in education and children's causes, among others, he counts some Republicans as friends and allies. It is Tom who is the billionaire and the more partisan player of the family. In 2014, before the Democrats lost control of the Senate, Tom Steyer donated $5 million to the Senate Majority PAC, a super PAC run by Reed's former aides. 
It was just the beginning of his pledge to spend $100 million influencing elections and killing the Keystone Pipeline. He eventually wound up spending closer to $75 million and was, by far, the largest single individual spender in the midterm elections. Liberal Michael Bloomberg was a distant second at $40 million. It turns out Steyer's money was not that well spent. He used it for ads like this one against Iowa's Joni Ernst. Greenlight, more outsourcing. China, Mexico, all the way. She isn't worried about Iowa jobs. Oh. Never mind that. Joni Ernst is with us. Any chance she'll back out when pigs fly. (laughs) Not only was the ad deemed false by PolitiFact, but Joni Ernst won the election. She's now Iowa's junior senator. Steyer wound up losing five of the eight races he sought to swing. In spite of spending the kind of money he has to influence the political process, Steyer has been an outspoken critic of the Supreme Court decision that allows it. The Citizens United decision, which really freed up money in politics and has led to this explosion of money in politics, is one that I think is going to turn out to be a historic mistake that people are going to understand in the years to come was a terrible decision by the Roberts Court. Yet, he himself is taking full advantage of it anyway. Steyer spoke on PBS last year about how the Democrats just can't compete financially with the big, mean, big-toothed Republicans. You know, we felt from the beginning that Citizens United was a mistake, that the way that money is used in American campaigns isn't good for democracy. It's just in a situation where we felt as if there's an immense amount of money on the other side. And as long as this is the system which the Supreme Court has put in place, there's got to be somebody on our side. And when you look at the relative dollars, it really is a David and Goliath situation. And we're very definitely the small shepherd boy with five rocks and a sling. The Uh, small shepherd boy, really? Absolutely. I don't think there's any question about it. Actually, there may be some doubt about it, considering that according to ABC News, Barack Obama, who is, of course, a Democrat, raised and spent over $770 million in 2008, compared to John McCain's $238 million, more than triple his opponent's spending. Obama raised more in 08 than all other candidates combined from the 2004 election cycle. In 2012, President Obama became the first candidate in the history of the world to raise over $1,123,000,000, to be exact. And again, that was also a lot more than his Republican opponent. Then there's the money George Soros and his groups contribute. Over $7 billion to Democratic candidates and liberal causes. All told, according to a political analysis of the top 100 donors during the midterm elections, Democrats received 174 million, Republicans 140. Democratic donors routinely give more to political campaigns than the much maligned Koch brothers and Republicans in general. The Koch brothers were just 59th on Politico's list of the biggest donors. 
But because Democrats and their allies continue to lie about being outspent, the perception is that Republicans are buying elections. Tom Steyer's biggest crusade is climate change, despite the fact that most of his vast fortune was made from his huge investments in oil and coal. Powerline's John Hinderaker has been researching Steyer's activities. His hedge fund, Farallon Capital Management, invested somewhere between a billion and two billion dollars in coal mines and coal-fired power plants in Asia and Australia, on which they made a profit that our reader estimated at about $400 million, a big cornerstone of, of Steyer's personal wealth. And it's just unbelievable that he now, you know, he just left Farallon in 2012. We're not talking about ancient history. On January 1st, 2013, he left his hedge fund and started NextGen Climate Action Group. One of his major investments, however, remained a pipeline that is viewed as a rival to the Keystone Pipeline. When this came to the attention of the media, that he was still heavily invested in oil, coal, and competing pipelines, even though he left Farallon, he then instructed his brokers to divest from all fossil fuels. There is considerable doubt over whether that divestment ever actually took place. It has been estimated that Steyer funded over the years, through Farallon, the production of an amount of CO2 each year that is equivalent to about 28% of the total amount of CO2 produced in the United States by coal burned for electricity generation. In fact, the financing provided by Steyer's fund enabled those coal producers to restructure and recapitalize, and that freed them up to grow rapidly during a period of rapidly rising coal prices, leading to one of the largest expansions of thermal coal production in modern times. But Tom Steyer has now sworn off coal and oil and pipelines. He has now heavily invested his money in solar panels, and the heavily government-subsidized renewable energy sector. Even so, there are so many other inconsistencies in Tom Steyer's lifestyle for a man who is so committed to making a difference on climate change, a man whose stated goal for his super PAC is... Well, our mission is to act politically to prevent climate disaster and preserve American prosperity. For that man, the one who believes the way Tom Steyer does, that the Earth is on the verge of disaster due to planetary warming... You might think he might limit his carbon footprint by living in just one home. No? His four children are all grown up. They're all on their own now. There's just him and his wife, Katie. I don't even know if they have a dog or a bird. Well, Steiner does have quite a home. Overlooking the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco on each of its three stories. An estimated $11.7 million home that sits on a cliff with beautiful vistas of the San Francisco Bay. Wrecking that area for all of the wildlife. This is where he hosted a massive $34,000 per person fundraiser for Hillary Clinton. But having just one home in San Francisco, why, that would be silly. So Steyer owns a second home in San Francisco that doesn't overlook the bay, but does have an estimated value of over $10 million. The two homes combined have 11,000 square feet of space. Then, of course, there's the humble $8.5 million beach home he owns in Marin County. Beach home? Oh, gosh, I hope his feet don't get wet, you know, once the oceans start to rise. 
Oh, and also Steyer and his wife are avid skiers, so naturally they have a $2.6 million home near the Sugar Bowl Ski Resort in California. Oh, and another one at Lake Tahoe Ski Resort in Nevada that he purchased in 2007 for $15 million. But since no one can be expected to just get by with one Lake Tahoe home, the Steyers purchased a much more modest $1.1 million home there as well. And last but not least, Steyer owns a 2,000-acre California ranch where his wife keeps her show horses, worth 23 to $50 million or more. Oh, don't the Romneys look like papas? Steyer claims this property as a working cattle ranch in order to get a Williamson Act property tax break of approximately $90,000 per year. Odd for a man who fights so hard for Americans to, you know, pay higher taxes. Now, no honest capitalist would begrudge a billionaire of his luxuries. But when that billionaire is preaching catastrophic climate change and spending tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to influence election and legislation regarding the climate, it seems slightly disingenuous at best for two people to live on the carbon footprint that six homes and a 2,000-acre horse ranch might leave. Steyer, however, often cites Pope Francis as he pushes his climate change agenda. And listening to Pope Francis is something that I think is going to be critical in terms of every American taking this seriously. When someone with his seriousness and, you know, absolute goodness talks about it, I think it's very hard not to think about this really hard. Of course, Steyer is very selective when it comes to the topics about which he believes we should pay attention to Pope Francis. Steyer, for instance, is a big supporter of America's number one abortion provider, Planned Parenthood. Pope Francis's seriousness and absolute goodness apparently doesn't have an impact uh, at all on that issue with Steyer. Don't listen to him on that. But none of us are perfect. We all have certain inconsistencies. But with the huge inconsistency in the life of Tom Steyer, comments about the Koch brothers, such as the one he made to Men's Journal, that David Koch is, quote, taking the most incredible risk that I've ever seen someone take of going down in history as just an evil and just famously evil person, end quote. That sounds to me like a man who likes to live in a glass house tossing around some mighty big stones. On the next episode, The Hollywood Donors. Glenn Beck. We just really want to kind of set the record straight on... uh you know, where the big donors are actually donating their money as we go into this uh, next election. And now this. Children will share a lot of personal information. You can walk up to a child um, and they'll share anything with you. We are very, very careful with our information, obviously, and our kids know not to talk to strangers and not to share any facts about the family. And uh, we were at Fourth of July and my daughter was playing with a dog and and the owner of the dog started talking to her t- completely innocently. And uh, it's a very, very small town, so she felt comfortable. And she said, you know, he said, where are you from? She said, Dallas. He said, Dallas, what are you up here in Idaho for? Well, we have a house in the canyon and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she named the ranch, and, and he knew what that was. And so all of a sudden, he knew who we were. And my daughter felt horrible afterwards. Um, uh, but that's how easy it is. I mean, children don't, they're not thinking. 
And most of us don't think that way. And when you get online, they can find out your kid's birthday, their age, where they were born, all the things they need to get Social Security numbers. And then they have your 7- or 8- or 10-year-old Social Security number that they're going to use for the next 10 or 8 years. By the time your kid starts to go out and look for credit, their credit's destroyed. This is a, the, so America's fastest growing crime is identity theft. And LifeLock is the company that will help you lock your life and your children's lives, lives down. They scan hundreds of millions of uh, transactions every single second. And if they detect that your information is being used, they alert you. If that is, that, that alert says, are you doing this? And if you're not, then you get back in touch with them. And then they have a U.S.-based specialist that their job is to make this go away, to stop it, to seal it, and if any damage has been done, to help get your reputation back. Nobody can prevent all identity theft, but I think LifeLock is the best. Memberships start at $9.99 a month, plus any kind of sales tax. Go to LifeLock.com or call 800-440-4936. Use the promo code BECK and get 10% off your LifeLock membership plus um, uh, membership. It is 1-800-440-4936. 1-800-440-4936. LifeLock.com slash BECK. It would serve race mongers to well consider that even a docile old dog will bite you if you mistreat it often enough and long enough. The laws of unintended consequences. This is, uh, I'll tell you who wrote this in a minute. I am tired of seeing and reading and hearing white people blamed for everything from black boys not being able to read to whites being privileged because of the color of their skin. I'm tired of these Americans being used as scapegoats to further the agenda of race mongers, and it's a sure bet that those being unjustly vilified are especially weary of the same. This isn't 1860, and it's not 1955. There are no slaves in America. There are no Jim Crow laws dictating access uh, based on skin color. Specific to that point, it's time we remind people like Obama, Al Sharpton, and the new Black Panther Party that the racial discord they are fomenting can become the harbinger of their own peril. Obama foments racial unrest and racial divide to further his neo-Lenicist agenda. Um, uh, Sharpton foments racial unrest for personal gain. The new Black Panther foments racial uh, hostilities and demonization of whites in the foolish belief that they can bring around a Western version of apartheid where blacks rule. Too many blacks have lost sight of the fact that it was Africans who were responsible for the enslavement of other Africans. Who wrote this? Who wrote this? 
I don't know, but I can't wait to hear. It was war, invasion, conquests, and various caste systems that contributed to slavery. Although one would be hard-pressed to believe it from the invented myths that masquerade as fact. Persons of color were not the only slaves, says he. Moore and the author. When we come back, also Lawrence Jones is going to give us some more on the interview that happens tonight with the shooter's mother here in Dallas. Tonight at 5 p.m. on my broadcast. Today, 5, only on The Blaze TV. The Glenn Beck Program. Let me just finish this, which is from Pat Buchanan. Uh, But unlike the rest of the world, America had the good sense and decency to end slavery. In America, there's no caste system, and yet at every turn we're bombarded by how bad blacks have it because of whites and how unfair the so-called white system is to blacks. Actually, it's not by Pat Buchanan, but... Uh, All people, including those who are here illegally, have it better in America than they would have it anywhere else on earth. And yet blacks are encouraged to blame their ills on whites. Still, the bastardization of whites continues. The white law enforcement personnel are racist for defending themselves against black criminals, especially when bad things happen to black criminals. To put it succinctly, the single greatest non-biblical truth today is that many times the majority of blacks are their own worst enemies. But as I've said, the law of uh, unintended consequences. To that end, sooner or later, a pendulum reaches its arc and starts to swing back in the other direction. How long before white people, many of whom are growing increasingly resentful at being falsely maligned, decide to respond in kind? This is David David Duke, who is running. Oh, no, wait. I'm sorry. No, this is Michael Massey. He's a black-ordained minister. Uh, and the chairman of the Racial Policy Center, a think tank in Washington, D.C. We have to get him on and make him a part of the conversation that we are, are having because we do need to listen. We do need to be open. We need to stop trying to win. But somebody also needs to speak the truth at the same time that can be heard um, in communities other than the community that I live in. Lawrence Jones is uh, with us. Tonight, big special at 5 p.m. only on The Blaze. NBC, I think, is... Did NBC buy this special from us? Are they doing something? Uh, I think we're negotiating with yeah. them right now. Um, NBC wants to play this as well after The Blaze. A lot of uh, networks. At some point, yeah. Um, so uh, you can see it tonight. Uh, exclusive. The only interview done with... Um, anybody uh, with the the shooter's family. And what's amazing is the shooter, who I don't believe, I believe was the guy that the parents think that he is, right. you know, that they defend him as. Right. But I don't think he was that guy, obviously, when he went out to shoot everybody. Right. 
Um, but he's he does he he didn't hate whites because his stepmother is white and she helped raise him. And she's they go the biggest defenders of him, big time defender. She's like he went to the family reunions. He loves all the white relatives. There's no problem here. There were moments in the interview where the mom and dad had to calm her down because she wanted to take it further and further and further because she believed it. She believed that she was very emotional. Um, but it's clear that there was this constant battle with this young man. Um, and the parents are still, like many of them, trying to understand it from the interview. That's what I got from them. They weren't able to, at that point, to make the connection to what he had become to the son from where the son they raised and loved. I would speculate that just because he loved his mom and his white relatives doesn't mean he didn't hate white people. I, 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 don't, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. Well, I, I mean, mean, Barack Obama had a white mom, too, and I, I, I don't know that he's that excited about white people, uh, honestly. I, I don't know. Yeah, but his white mother was not in necessarily in love with white people either. Right. So, uh, the, and these people don't seem to have a problem. I mean, this was a. No. You told me I didn't after get walking that out. Yeah, yeah. That this was this was the mm-hmm. a milk toast middle of the road middle America kind of home and people. Right. Right. I, I didn't get that impression at all. I, I believe that the term racist has become such a loose word. Racism is, I hate you, you know, not just the person that is being uh, prejudiced. Mm-hmm. That's not racism. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have our certain prejudice. Um, we all have our certain um, discriminations that we do based on our experiences. But the term racism, the people that actually hate you for who you are because of the color of your skin, you know, the View had this thing with Whoopi Goldberg uh, one time, and I, and I rarely agree with Whoopi. And Raven Simone was like, "That's racist. That that's racist." And she was like, "Honey, you haven't experienced racism. Mm. You watch a man get hung because he looked at a white girl. Then you tell me that you've experienced racism." Today, we use the word way too loosely. Oh. It- in all things. You hear about the guy at Yale. Um, he works at Yale. He went into, uh, I think it's Calhoun Hall, which is one of the, you know, dining halls, and they, they each have their own kind of halls. And it's it looks like a Harry Potter, you know. Yale looks like you expect Ivy League schools to look. It looks like a Harry Potter thing, very gothic. And there's these 250-year-old stained glass windows. Mm-hmm. Um, reflecting the life of Calhoun. I don't know anything about Calhoun, but it, in the story, they didn't even say what was in the stained glass window. Uh, it just said uh, windows that depict his life, and uh, a a guy took a broomstick because he didn't like what was in. He he felt that window was racist, and he broke that two hundred and fifty year old historic stained glass window. Mm-hmm. And the students applaud him for it now, are bailing him out. Mm-hmm. Yale just wanted him to apologize, and then he quit. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to fire him for that. Mm-hmm. This is insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have a right to break and destroy property because it makes you feel a certain way. I was taught that you are in control of your feelings. Mm-hmm. Nothing can make you feel a certain way unless you allow it to. Most definitely. Most definitely. 
So what are we going to see tonight, Lawrence, that we, that we don't know? What, do, what, do, what is the thing you come around? Have you seen it yet? Have you seen the full thing? Yeah, I've been involved with the editing processes, but I haven't saw the full thing. Because what, is the, what is the feeling that you now have? Because you were really raw when you came back Monday Yeah, morning. it's a journey. It's a journey getting to understand them as people. And I want people to understand that you got to watch the entire thing. I get to know them as parents. I get to know them as they saw their child before the shooting. Then I enter into, let's talk about your son. What was the transition? Then I get into the tough questions of asking them why he did this. Are these allegations are true? Then I could talk about how can we heal they're, America? They're diametrically opposed to themselves at times. Mm-hmm. For instance, mom is a gun owner. Mm-hmm. Carries a gun, isn't she? A concealed mm-hmm. weapons holder. All of them have guns, yeah, and yes. knives. She said, "Yeah." So, so they all they all carry guns, and yet, mom also kind of went against the Second Amendment and said, "Some what was it?" Well, she she went against this. She she said that maybe, you know, these guns should. And, and she admitted that she didn't know a lot about guns, but she said she can blast somebody if they walked in her house. But she then said, after saying, maybe we shouldn't have all this gun and ammunition, that the gun never commits the crime, that people do it. So there was this moral uh, argument, as well as being in her emotions of the state and probably thinking that if her son hadn't had the guns, we wouldn't have been here. Do you believe they believe he did it and acted alone? Oh, they believe he did it. They actually said he did it, but I think they're still coping with all of the elements. Like, for instance, they'll hear in an interview about um, the bombs. They don't believe that portion yet. They don't believe that. Maybe two weeks, if I have the pleasure to, to speak with them again, maybe they will come into acknowledgement of that. But right now... They, there's no evidence of the bombs, is there? It's a weird because they, they, I keep hearing that on the news, and they're talking mm-hmm. about how you know he had these things in his house, and they were he may have been planning something much larger. Mm-hmm. Uh, he certainly, at the time, the reports were that he threatened to do these things, and there was bombs all over the city, but they haven't been finding bombs mm-hmm. all over the city. So uh, I, I don't know exactly where that goes uh, from here. I mean, I, it's a, it would be a weird thing for him to do, you would think, mm-hmm. if he planned this giant attack. And then had all these bomb-making materials and decided, you know, I'm going to bail on the bombs and just and go down and just try to shoot a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, when someone goes through that process to acquire the materials, that's the, that's the time you're most likely to get caught. Mm-hmm. So um, do you know why – did they blow him up after 45 minutes of, of, of uh, negotiation because they thought he was going to set off other bombs? Or why did, why did they just, I've never seen that before. I'm concerned about that. I am too. And I know some people may disagree with me, but I am very concerned about the precedent that this sets uh, on the homeland. And I'm, I'm your judge, I'm jury, and executioner. Now, in his case, we knew he was guilty. Right. But unless he could do, right. I mean, in, unless we were in fear for lives, which we may have been. I don't know. And that's why I ask about the bombs. Well, the police chief has said he was. Yeah. He, was he was afraid mm-hmm. for his men. And that's why they sent in the bomb. Mm-hmm. And that was the only way where he was positioned in the garage, they couldn't uh, use a sniper. Well, I even talked to the... That's what I was told. When I talked to the parents, they were very angry about that. And it led me to... She, was, she directly said the police chief. She had been supportive of the law enforcement throughout the interview, but she was very... 
upset that they blew him up. And I then questioned her, did she know the police chief's son killed the cop? And they end up killing his son. And it took her for a minute to process that. She didn't know. But I think her perspective started to change after I told her that, as far as her judgment on the police chief. Tonight at uh, 5 o'clock, Lawrence Jones, um, he did not pursue this. In fact, he didn't really want it. Um, uh, This is not what he does for a living. Um, But he, um, they called him and said, we just saw you on TV and we want to talk to you out of all the press people. And so he went and he did an interview. Take it for what it is worth. It is a family grieving. But I think the answers on what happened are all there. I'm sorry, but I don't believe them. I mean, I think they're trying to believe that he wasn't involved with the Nation of Islam or, you know, the Black Panthers. But the signs are all there that he was. You know, he comes back and all of a sudden he stops drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, he he starts cleaning up his life. He's, he's you know, talking about black, uh, you know, black power stuff. Then there's the other thing that, that nobody in the press has picked up that we released on Monday, and that is that he was motivated by a Facebook post, mm. something on BET and uh, that went viral, and that was, his father said, that was kind of the last straw. May, may I indulge just for a moment? I know you don't want me to do this, but may I indulge myself just <laughs> yes. for a moment? Can you imagine if a shooting like this happened and the parents of the shooter said, you know what? He was very fired up about that Glenn Beck show he had just watched. Oh, my God. He was very fired up about that Rush Limbaugh show. He he saw a speech from they Rush Limbaugh, see, and he got very fired up about it. It wasn't true. We had to talk him down. Arrest. We had to talk him down from what Glenn Beck said. Yep. And eventually, we were able to settle him down, we thought. But then he went out and did this. Can you imagine what the news would be saying about that? I'd be out of work that? today. I'd be out of work today. Oh, no question. Yeah. I'd be out of work today. Would have lost yes. every sponsor. Who was who was the uh, who was the artist at the BET Awards? Uh, Jesse Williams. Williams. Yeah, but his. Dad, I don't think we ever played that. No, we, we didn't. We, I we think that. his dad was very adamant about telling him, "Son, there were aspects of the speech that was right, but there the aspects were, were just wrong. that were wrong too." And he was calming him down about it because his his dad didn't say that led him to do it, but he was adamant that. When he that was the last time he talked to him about that speech, and he knew his son mm. was upset about that. Now we know later that this happened. You can speculate and say that. But. While you're there, on you know this is the last conversation that he had with his son. I want to play one of the police officer's children, nine year old girl. Dad was going out to finish his last shift. His last shift. He was retiring, and I think this is the last time he was going out on the streets. And he was leaving the house, and he said she was leaving the house, and he was leaving the house, and they just said goodbye as she was going out for a movie, and he was going to work. And he said, come here back here. Give me a hug and kiss. Well, you never know. This might be the last time we hug and kiss. Listen to her. I'm just getting to it now here. This is... Heart-wrenching. He was leaving to go to work, and I was leaving to go to a movie, and he said to me, what if this is the last time you ever kissed me or hugged me? Did he always say that? No. That was probably the first time 
ever said that. Was this kiss any different? Yes, it was. Oh. It just felt different to me. I thought something bad was going to happen. Japanese economy, the yen is in the dumps. Our stock market is the highest. I just showed Stu a, a chart that shows who's dumping all the money in. The money market, the people who are actually investing their own money, it's going down. But the central banks all around the world are dumping money into the markets. It is a game, and it is going to end. Sales of gold jumped 60% in the last month. 60%. People know. Americans are always the last to get it. Please don't be the last to get it. Please. I know so much is going on in your life right now. But take the time and find out if gold or silver is right for you. Because when this hits, and it's going to hit, it's going to hit when the next president is in, unless we have massive tragedy of some other sort that collapses the economy quickly. But it's coming. And don't be behind the eight ball. Go to Goldline now. Get to talk about their price guarantee program ensure that you um, ask them about the legal tender unit. This is a new kind of coin that they have from the Perth Mint in Australia. Call 866-465-3546, 866-465-3546-866-GOLDLINE right now. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program. I will be Mercury. Dinesh D'Souza uh, and Hillary's America, plus Charles Barkley, when we come back. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Well, hello, America. There is some a very frank conversation with Charles Barkley that we need to have. We'll do that. And Dinesh D'Souza on Hillary Clinton begins right now. Entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Dinesh is coming up in just a few minutes. I want to start with uh, Charles Barkley um, because he's a little outspoken. And if he was anyone but Charles Barkley, and I don't mean just a black man can say this, I don't think any black man can say this on television and keep their job. I think if he was anyone else but Charles Barkley, he wouldn't get allowed, uh, wouldn't get away with saying this. 
Listen to what Charles Barkley had to say about the shootings in Dallas. Uh, the cops have made some mistakes. Uh, black people have made some mistakes. Until we stop, have to, we have to sit back and be honest with each other. The cops have made some mistakes that don't give us the right to riot and shoot cops. We need the cops, especially in the black community. This should have been uh, Barack Obama's uh, yes. address, by the way. This, this should have been what Barack Obama said. We as black people, we've got to do better. We never get mad when black people kill each other, which that always has bothered me. It has always bothered me. And then somebody's going to scream like, well, you can't change the subject. Well, first of all, I've never changed the subject. I've always said we as black people, if you want respect, you have to give each other respect. You can't demand respect from white people and the cops. We don't respect each other. Amen. So uh, we got to do better as black people. The cops have made some mistakes. Uh, But there's a lot of blame to go around. And there, there was more. I had a real in-depth conversation about my, with my bodyguard about the gun thing in Minnesota. You know, Dan, I'm a gun guy. And he always warns me, he said, do not put your ID where your gun is. He says, what I think, and I'm not saying, he says, I don't know whether we think the cop is right or wrong. First of all, everything is happening in fast motion. Everything's happening. Everybody get to sit back and see what happened. He says, what I think happened was that cop said, can I have your ID? And then the next thing he said was, I have a gun, and he reaches. And I think the cop just panicked. I know, but Charles, they're more likely to panic around black people because there's a fear Well, Dan, because in fairness, some black people out there, they are crooks. Now, you can't sit there and act like all these, first of all, I'm saying in that situation, there's a reason there's some, and I'm not saying that's right either. There is some reason why there's racial stereotype because some of these black people out there are committing crimes. <laughs> wow, wow! And there, he had a little bit more. To we say. can't jump to conclusions every time. Like it's because a guy is black. First of all, there is racial profiling. There's always been racism. There's, first of all, there's racism on both sides. Let's get that straight. But to just assume. First of all, if you go back and look at that thing in Louisiana, I think those cops clearly overreacted. But there's no doubt in my mind if I'm fighting with a guy and I hear somebody scream gun and I got a gun, I'm going to shoot the guy. And like I say, the cops probably did overreact in both situations. But we got to, we got to look at the big picture. Let's work with the cops because we need the cops. If it wasn't for the cops, we'd be living in the wild, wild west. If that's the president's address. Why isn't that? It just diffuses the whole situation. Yes. Does it not? Is that, is that what we need? Do you realize how many times he said something that just out of our culture, political correctness, if he wasn't Charles Barkley. Oh, he'd be. He'd he be would done. have been fired. If he was on ESPN, I think ESPN, even if he is Charles Barkley, fires him today if yeah. he was on ESPN. He's not. Right. And TBS, I yeah, think, right? no, TNT, I think. TNT. Um, so he is, think of the things that he just said. You're right, even ESPN, uh, even though he's Charles Barkley, ESPN would fire him. Would fire him. Yeah. So it's not that the president can't, can't say this. You're right, it would defuse an awful lot of stuff. It would. But it's not just the president who's doing it. 
our culture won't allow us to have that conversation. And that's the conversation we need to have. It is. Half of it. Yes, half of it. And, you know, he's... I'd like to put him with somebody who is very, very reasonable. I wish he'd come on the show. If, if Charles Barkley, would, I, he probably won't. But if he would come on the show, we could like have a, a tremendous discussion with him. It's interesting, too, in the sort of world of basketball as well, the, the WNBA team in Minnesota wore Black Lives Matters t-shirts, and we're talking about it, and the off-duty cops there to protect him walked off. You want, you want to start seeing oh. some different reactions to these things? If that oh. continues... Uh, the, it'll be interesting to see because uh, it, it's exactly what Charles Barkley said there about we need cops. And, you know, when you start losing if them, I'm a cop, they start taking a stand on that. I bet the attitudes will change quite a bit. If I'm a cop and you are a, I don't know, because if I'm a cop, I've taken an oath and I'm going to do, yep. I'm going to feel guilty if I don't. I feel like a bad guy, but you shouldn't. I, I would have a hard time. Um, protecting somebody who was who was standing up for get someone you think isn't going to kill you. It. Get someone you get you think isn't targeting you because of your if your race. If you think we're all doing it, go hire your own private security. Go hire some people. Go hire uh, whoever you want. Uh, we were just watching the OJ documentary. We were talking about how Jody Cochran, in the middle of this, making race into this issue of this of OJ Simpson, who now even uh, the African American community agrees was a murderer. Uh, hired uh, the Nation of Islam for his security. I go ahead do that. Bring that into the Minnesota Lynx right. games if you want that. Because right. I would like I, the more cops who do this, the more you'll actually see how much they believe the crap they're saying. Because they're going to beg for these guys to come back and protect them. They will beg for it. So I mean, I am. Look, I understand they take an oath, and it, some for some people, uh, you know, when you're on duty in particular. Uh, you know, there's some of that that goes along with your job. But, I mean, at some point, you keep getting targeted by this. You're going to want to go to a different job. Oh, and I have news for you. We're going to run people out of our... In Atlanta, they're already they're already hiring ex-convicts uh, to be police officers because they can't get anybody to be a police officer. You're... Wait, hold it. What? Would you want to do it in this environment? No way. No way. No way. I mean, the guys who are doing that job... And continue to be dedicated and committed to it. I mean, you can't you're say get enough a, about You're going to get a militarized force. Soon. Well, that's what Obama's pushing I for. know he is. Pushing I know he is. Federal force. A federal police force. We need a civilian force that's just as powerful, just as well-funded as uh, our military, right? It's crazy. Said that from the very beginning. Yep. And that's, that's been called urban legend. Came from what? his own stupid mouth. What? That was called an urban legend. What are you talking uh, about? Oh, yeah. I, I, I just saw that not too long ago, that that Obama's call for some civilian force was an urban legend, was not true. It, do you have the audio it of it? False. Oh, yeah. I can't remember what I called it, but I'm going to look for it right now. Um, the audio vault. Mm, let's see. Because uh, that's not urban legend. We, no, I mean, it is not. He played it a hundred times. He said it. And there's no other way to interpret that. We well, I mean, uh, factcheck.org. Is Obama planning? I mean, here it is. There's a we lot of cannot it. continue to rely only on our military in order to mm. achieve the national security objectives that we've set. We've got to have a civilian national security force that's just as powerful, just as strong, 
just as well funded. Okay. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that. What do they call it? They said, uh, well, you know, they, they kind of, they fact-checked some of the claims around them. You know, people were saying, like, a Gestapo-like national security. So they, they say it on that. I mean, he obviously did say that. Um, the private army, um, you know, he did not say that. They're saying he was saying uh, it was a ready reserve corps of doctors and other health workers. Oh, ready oh my God. doctors. Does this sound like doctors? We cannot continue to rely only on our military, military. in order to achieve the national security objectives that we okay, set. Okay, so what doctors, We've got to have what a doctors are in competition with the military <laughs> to on security? National security objectives. I mean, that's, that's, look out, man. These, these doctors have mean scalpels. I mean, that's ridiculous. Not to mention RPGs. I mean, yeah. oh my god. I mean, these guys, they can do it all. But they, then they can because they can blow you up and then they can sew you up. Nice. So it's it's nice. <laughs> it's really nice. He is talking about uh-huh. in the context of that AmeriCorps AmeriCorps, which is our our nation's network of local, uh-huh. state, and national. Do you remember what happened when I said that he was talking about AmeriCorps? And we started talking about AmeriCorps. That was that, that was, was conspiracy a conspiracy too. theory. Yeah. Was well, no. Now they're saying that it is AmeriCorps. He said it. I mean, Obama said it in a speech. Again, he said both of these things in a speech. So <laughs> right. I, you know, uh, I don't know what that means anymore. I mean, um, what kind of Boy Scout troop uh, provides national security <laughs> that's just as well funded and, and just strong. As, and strong like our military? He that's def- quite a Boy Scout troop. He definitely talks about things that are not at all related to a national security force. I mean, he talks about you know going to teach people and going to mentor. He talks about those other things, but this part of it, he specifically cites the military and says a national security force. Yeah. It's hard to figure. Certainly they would not be giving the break to a Republican who came up and said those exact same words. Um, You know, I mean, it's hard, you you know, when he talks about it, we're talking about, uh, he talks about, um, uh, we're now we're going to grow our foreign service, open consulates that have been shuttered, double the size of the Peace Corps. Uh, by 2011 to right. renew And all of these are separate issues from what he's talking about. Right, and then he says we cannot and continue. Then to, he says this. We cannot continue to rely on our military in order to achieve the national security objectives that we've set. Uh-huh. We've got to have a civilian national security force that's just <laughs> as powerful, just as strong, just as well-funded. He's I mean, talking He's talking about a brownie troop there. That's what he's doing. <laughs> what he was saying was a brownie troop. We gotta increase the ranks of our brownies in this country. <laughs> you say brownies one more time, I'm gonna kill you. Brownies. <laughs> Why did you just threaten Donald Trump there? I don't. Why? <laughs> I do it all the oh, time. I didn't mean so to. clear. So oh, wow. Oh, the it means the Secret Service is coming or not coming again uh, to see. By the way, have you seen the Donald Trump stats? The new poll out. Quinnipiac? He's actually polling pretty well right now. I mean, in that poll, he's polling pretty well. Uh, yeah, but it's, I mean, you know, yeah, Quinnipiac's not a... He's ahead it's a good in poll. Rasmussen. And Rasmussen has not had a good record recently. Right. Um, uh, but Trump and, is leading Clinton in Florida and Pennsylvania. Florida and Pennsylvania are pretty key states. And he's tied yeah, and in is, Ohio. I mean, if he could is, win those three, he wins. Oh, I think, honestly, I, and this hasn't been my case for a while, but I, I think if he wins Pennsylvania, if I were Trump, I would camp out in Pennsylvania constantly. If he can win Pennsylvania, he's going to win the election. 
You think? I, I honestly think so. You think that's it'll a, be that close? That is, to me, not even a purple state really anymore when it comes to the presidential election. No, that's a blue I mean, state. It, it's a, it's a blue essentially state. a blue state. And if he can pull that one off, it's 20 electoral votes. Without Pennsylvania, I, I have a very difficult time finding a logical way for him to win. With Pennsylvania, uh, I mean, he can very easily win because, you know. What if he were to dig up Arlen Specter and do like a weekend with Bernie thing (laughs) and just have him with him as he campaigned through Pennsylvania? He wins the election. Well, why not? Hillary's traveling with Bernie. Let me get, let me give you this. Yeah. This life, this life left me. Look, I, I, so uh, if again, he's been competitive in some Pennsylvania polls. However, not most of them. Um, but here's Arlen. Are you still talking? Arlen, stop. Okay, get away for Arlen. To finish. I didn't mean to interrupt him. Here's the actual summary, though. You want the summaries? Yeah. Okay. Um, in red states, Romney won by an average of 16 points. Trump, red wow. states. Wow. Trump is, is leading by an average of 6.9 points. Okay. So the average of all of these states has moved towards Clinton by nine points. Okay. Oh. Uh, now, about, there's a about blue? In blue states, uh, uh, Clinton or Obama won by an average of 21.5 points, and Clinton is winning by an average of 19.1. Oh, that's pretty close. So it's close. He, it's moved towards, towards Trump mm-hmm. two and a half points. But again, it's moved nine or seven points. Uh, towards uh, towards uh, Clinton in the red states. In the purple states, uh, Obama uh, won by 4.2. Clinton is winning by 5.6. So again, a He's slight doing move. better in the Clinton. swing states? She's doing better in the swing states. She's Jeez. doing much, much, much better in the red states. the opposite of what we've been told the whole time. Yeah. Well, you know. Um, of, well, of course. And again, this is one poll. But I mean, some of these are unbelievable. Obviously, Utah, we've talked about a lot. And, and it, with Romney, it's a little bit of the extremes. But yeah. Romney won Utah by 48 points. <laughs> Trump is leading by three. <laughs> no, that's just remarkable in itself. Yeah. That is a very, very 48. red state. But I mean, again, like there's things. 48. I, know, I know, but that Romney was a special. I mean, that was, was a special yeah, home. I mean, the Republican always wins. The Republican always wins by a landslide. Right. Now, it, is was, as, it is as red as you could possibly get. Some of these are really disturbing, though. I mean, Kansas is probably the worst. I mean, he loses Kansas. Obviously, he's lost the election, right? I is mean, he it, still losing? Is he still trailing there? Romney won by 22 points. Clinton is leading by three. Oh my gosh! Whoa. A twenty-four point move towards Clinton. Holy in cow! Um, you know, there's that. I mean, there are one, two, three, four, five, Jesus. six, seven states. Real key. that are moved in double digits towards Clinton. And real states. key is how many points does he swing it next week? He's got to yeah. get a bump. I mean, yeah, he's I know. Get a bump well, out wait of a minute. I don't think did, did Romney really get a big bump? Yeah, he got a bump out of it. Everybody gets a bump. They always say it's about three or four points a bump. Out of the the VP slash, but it usually so goes away should, pretty fast. It goes away when the other convention comes yeah. back. Typically, yeah. that is. That I is, personally think that Trump could and he should get more than a three to five point bump. He should get anywhere from a five to ten point bump because he's such a showman. You he's such a showman. And this this be should be this should be a a wild production. This should be the first. Republican convention that any of us have ever said that one was done right. Right. Because he is a show. He's a television guy. For example, when we don't know the VP choice yet, but Mike Pence is one of the top guys. He shows up with his entire family in a giant motorcade, pulls up right in front of the house and walks in in the front entrance to the Mike Pence house. Now, uh, obviously, everyone's taking that as, oh, it's Mike Pence. He's the guy. But Donald Trump is a showman. 
Doesn't that make you think that it's he not doesn't like do that intentionally yeah. to foreshadow so that he ruins his buzz of the election, right? It makes me think it's Christie, it's Christie or, or, or Gingrich or somebody else. Again, who knows? You're guessing. And he hasn't been a, I don't think he's been a guy who's been constantly saying, well, I'm going to do, I'm going to do X, I'm going to do X, I'm going to do X. Hey, it's Y. He hasn't done that tons of times, but he is a showman and he does, he's talked about the drama of that reveal. He's, he's, you know, he's a, got a reality show background. That's what every single time he looks at one guy and say, and then looks back at the other one and says, you're fired and it's surprising. I mean, he knows that game. So you'd think this is what he does to build this up. Mm-hmm. You're right. It should be the most spectacular convention of all time. The man knows television. He knows theater. And, if and anything, he's been touting that. Yes. I yeah. mean, this is, this is spectacular, spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, coming next week. When does it start? Is it Monday or Tuesday? Mm, I don't know. Tuesday's the start. I don't know. We're going to see if we can get um, Mike Lee on and uh, maybe David Barton on tomorrow because they've been working on the platform for the last few days and now they go into the rules uh, starting tomorrow. Did you get a good night's sleep last night? Or did you wake up in the middle of the night over and over and over again? And were you drenched in sweat if you have a foam mattress? Your mattress, if you have a foam mattress, is a heat magnet. Unless you have a Casper mattress. Casper, Time Magazine named Casper mattress one of the best inventions of 2015. And the reason why is they have invented the foam mattress with high-tech foams that will help you sleep cool and comfortable. So it's not going to trap the heat. It gives you all the support you need. And you don't have to take it from me and you don't have to go in a stupid store and just lay there on a mattress for five minutes. Because what does that tell you? Nothing. Your Casper mattress will ship for free, and you can try it for 100 nights at home. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund every single dime. So say goodbye to the night sweats, say goodbye to sleepless nights, and say hello to your new mattress, Casper Mattress. Casper.com. Use the promo code Becky at 50 bucks off. Terms and conditions do apply. Casper.com. Offer code Beck. It's Casper.com. At our most basic level, we are all afraid of something. Progressives exploit these fears by offering us solutions based on lies and a hunger for power and control. Get the truth with Liars, a new book by Glenn Beck, available August 2nd. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. 888-727-BCK. Earlier in the show, I mentioned my new book, uh, Liars. Uh, It's a book I want you to pick up. Things that I learned about progressives while researching this book. Um, It's it's available on August 2nd. Go to glennbeck.com slash liars and see the museum that we're doing in early August here in the studios of Las Colinas as well. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.
the Glenn Beck Program. Dinesh D'Souza is uh, with us. Dinesh. Hello, Glenn. How are you? Is it? Uh, I am great, Dinesh. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Excited about this movie. And uh, wow, we're going into crazy political season. Yeah, you ain't kidding. I want to... I want to talk to you a little bit um, about that. First of all, um, your new book is out and the movie is coming out, Hillary's America. And what I really like about it, Dinesh, is you go into the progressives, which nobody ever does. If you don't understand the progressive movement, you don't understand who Hillary is, who Barack Obama is. You don't understand what they're doing. Uh, And Bernie Sanders came out yesterday and said... They have put together the most aggressive progressive agenda in the history of the United States, and that's what she's running on. That's that's telling us a lot. Hillary Hillary was asked some time ago, "Are you a liberal?" And she said, "No, I'm not a liberal. I'm a progressive." And most people have no idea what that means because the word progressive simply evokes progress, but. What do they mean by progress? What is progress from their point of view? I think that's the question that we have to answer. And she, you know, Dinesh, she said something even more frightening than that, because I've listened to it a hundred times because I couldn't believe she said it. She said, I consider myself a early 20th century, very American progressive. So she was putting herself back into the Woodrow Wilson, Margaret Sanger kind of. She specifically said an early 20th century, very American progressive. Those people were awful people. They were. And and Wilson is a very good example of this because he marries uh, two traditions that came together to define the progressive. The first tradition, which is often ignored, is sort of the racist segregationist tradition. Uh, Wilson not only expanded the segregation of the federal government, extending it to sort of every nook and cranny of the federal government, he also aired the movie Birth of a Nation in the White House, giving a new birth, if you will, to the Ku Klux Klan. The Klan had kind of gone defunct a couple of decades earlier, but it had a major comeback thanks to the help of Woodrow Wilson. So that's one strand, the racist strand. And the other was the eugenic strand associated with Margaret Sanger, the whole idea that unfit people don't deserve to be born, uh, the whole idea that that essentially forced sterilization is something that's acceptable to control the population. All of this was a way for the progressives to try to maintain not only an economic stranglehold, but a social stranglehold on society. Um, we, um, um, you compare Hillary Clinton to Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson is on our $20 bill and uh, most people don't have a problem with it. I, I think he's one of the most evil guys that has ever been president. Um, at least probably the most evil guy in the 1800s to be president. Um, why are you comparing Hillary Clinton to Andrew Jackson? So Andrew Jackson had, you know, he was known as the Indian warrior. And many people think that it's the epitome of political correctness, a political incorrectness to side with Andrew Jackson against the Indians. But the thing to remember here is that, you know, that Andrew Jackson violated all these Indian treaties that had been signed with the tribes. And he did so for his own benefit. Um, It's now been widely documented that before Andrew Jackson got the Indians to vacate their land, he would send in his own private surveyors. 
uh, and they would measure the land and assess its value and privately communicate it to Jackson. Then Jackson would contact his friends, his, his buddies who were investors, and get them to bid early on the land. So when the land came up... Are, we, are you there? Oh, man. It's That's Vince Jackson's Foster. people got to him. Oh, no, it was Vince Foster. I mean, he, sounded, he was describing Whitewater, was he yeah. not? Yeah. Plus yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. There we go. They got him again. Man. Nash, are you there? He's not there. See if you can call him back. They've already silenced him once. I mean, when you, I don't know if anybody really paid attention. It's crazy. They're not going to do a thing to Hillary Clinton. Right. Right. But they put Dinesh D'Souza in prison. And why? Because he donated too much money to a political campaign to a friend of his that he believed in. Right. That's why he went, not to jail, not to jail, to prison and a pretty hardcore prison down by the border. He, I mean, I've talked to him about, I did an interview with him about a year ago. And and it changed him. And he's lost a lot of faith in, you know, he had that kind of, you know, wide-eyed, glamorous, America is great kind of faith. And he realized, boy, this is not the country I thought it was. This is not the country I thought it was. Nobody nobody goes to prison for that. No. Who, no. who goes to prison for that? Have you ever heard of that? I, I've never heard of it. I think Dinesh D'Souza is legitimately um, the first and maybe hopefully only political prisoner uh, of the United States of America, and I don't know how long. <laughs> Using your own money that you got. No one's saying he got it in some illicit way. Right. Using his own money to back a candidate he believed in uh, to further his own political um, views and speech. I mean, it's how that seems is. like a First Amendment. It seems like it. You know. It seems like it. Have you guys seen the movie yet? No. No. I want to. You want to? Yeah, it's definitely. Because okay, uh, 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 we, we we go see it, so you can recommend or not, but it, it's really, really good. He's taken, and it's not a documentary. It is, I mean, it is. It has parts of it, but a lot of it is is acted out, so reenactment scenes. Wow. So when you see the birth of the Progressive Party, when you see the birth of the Democratic Party um, after Reconstruction, you see them with the torches and the horses and the clan hoods. I mean, it's it's really a powerful, powerful film. Dinesh, you there? Hey, Glenn. My okay. apologies. I was Not a problem. Making, I was just making the point that the roots of the Clinton Foundation and its racketeering policies can be seen in the land-stealing policies of Andrew Jackson. It's incredible what, what continuity we see here, even over the space of a century and a half. So uh, what happens to us if Hillary Clinton is elected to Nash? Well... I think the main difference between Hillary and Obama is that Obama is, at the end of the day, an ideologue. Now, we might not agree with Obama's goals, but his goals are ideological, uh, to shrink the wealth and power of America. But he believes in it. He thinks that's a good thing. Uh, Hillary, on the other hand, I think her goals are essentially to be the mob boss of the United States. She wants to be, (laughs) if you will, the female godfather or godmother uh, calling the shots, and that's that's a that's turning the United States into a third world country. Hmm. That's a pretty hefty charge to make. Back that up. Uh, right. Back 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 that up. Well, just look at the way that the Clintons have operated since day one. Uh, their days in Arkansas and all the scams and rackets they ran from Whitewater, and then when they came to the White House, Travelgate, Filegate, the selling of presidential. Pardons the renting out of the Lincoln bedroom, 
essentially what they do is they put up a for sale sign on almost whatever they touch. Now, look, we have had corruption at the local level in America before. The Tammany Hall racket in New York, the Daily right. Machine in Chicago. So people kind of looting the Treasury at the local level, handing out favors to their friends. But we have never before in American history, for example, had a Secretary of State who has said, hey, you want mining privileges in Africa? Send some money to my foundation. Uh, you want to even aid money that is aimed at Haiti gets intercepted along the way, swelling the coffers of the Clinton Foundation. So I think that this is taking corruption not only to a national, but to a mm. global level. We just heard from one of her her uh, campaign bundlers, one of her one of her b- big donors, a, a supporter that she's the most corrupt politician in American history. And so is Bill. I mean, they, they're only, they're only supporting the supporters. Them. They're only supporting her, her because of Donald Trump. They just feel Donald Trump is so dangerous. But they have told us the most corrupt, in fact, we've had more than one source tells us, most corrupt people, most morally bankrupt people they have ever met. This is amazing. You know, David Geffen a few years ago said that about what kind of liars they are. He said that, look, in, po- in politics, people sometimes do obfuscate. They get caught and they try to, wow. they try to um, uh, change the truth. But he goes, the, the Clintons are pathological liars. They lie almost as a matter of course. I mean, Hillary was even David lied about David Geffen her name. said goes, that? This was David Geffen, the Hollywood mogul. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a stagger. I don't remember that comment. That's pretty amazing. So he must have, was that when he switched over to Obama? Is that? Well, he was explaining why he did. In other words, he was oh, okay. saying that, look, I'm used, we're all used yeah. to getting a little dirty in politics, but these people are sort of dirtiness defined. Um, <laughs> and I think that's, that's what's going on Jeez. here. And the American people know it. You know, sometimes you get somebody, take Nixon. There were Republicans who supported Nixon. Now, Nixon was, Nixon was not entirely shady, but there was a shadiness to Nixon. But we didn't know that before we elected Nixon. With Hillary, mm-hmm. we actually know what we're getting. And so it's a mark on the American character. If despite that, we go, yes, this is the mm-hmm. woman we want. Well, we had one of the guys from the European Union from Britain. He said, I think I'm going to come over there and uh, try to change your constitution so I can run. Because if these two guys are the best a country of 330 million can produce to be president of the United States, anybody can win. Uh, and it, in some ways, if it wasn't such a racket, that's true. I mean, these are the best guys we got. It's it's very scary. Um, you know, I think that this uh, the progressive train, however, has gotten way out of hand. In the early 20th century, the Republicans were strong enough to contain it. Uh, and so in the 1920s, for example, the Coolidge Republicans were able to block the progressives. Eisenhower blocked them in the 1950s. Uh, but... Uh, after eight years of Obama, I think uh, a Hillary presidency is almost frightening to contemplate. Um, to me, although the Republicans have all kinds of problems, this remains the party that ended the Civil War and, and ended slavery. This remains the party that fought segregation and lynching. This remains the party that stood up for human life against forced sterilization. And so I don't know an alternative to the Republican Party to actually block the Hillary progressive train. So what do you have when people walk out of this movie, Dinesh, what is the what is the hope that you say, man, if I could accomplish one thing, what would it be? 
I believe that if every American saw this movie, there is no way that Hillary Clinton would be elected. So I, I would like the movie to be an empowering and unifying force for the Republican Party. I really would like Hispanics and blacks to see this movie. I think they would be blown away. Uh, one question that Hispanics and blacks, these are, these are ordinary guys who came to our premiere and watched the movie for the first time, not political. And they come out and they, they say, I have only one question for you, Dinesh. Is this stuff true? The point being that if it is true, the implications are absolutely devastating. It means that everything that they've been told politically is a lie, and they have to reevaluate their fundamental beliefs and assumptions. So this movie has the ability to stir the emotions and sort of wrench the soul in that way, and I'm hoping that that soul-searching process is something that our country, I think we need it and we're ready for it, and I hope this movie is a catalyst to help that happen. Dinesh, people will go to their friends and they'll say, I don't want to see a Dinesh D'Souza movie. It's like going to see a, a better Glenn Beck TV show. <laughs> um, you know, they, I know what you're going to say. I know what it is. How do you, how do you respond to those people who are, like, who are Democrats who are like, this is just going to be a hatchet job? And, I mean, well, it is. You do cut what, everybody what up into them, little pieces, what, but... Yeah, what I say to them is that is that unlike, say, a Michael Moore film, which is full of of kind of stunts uh, and you know that you can't rely on the information provided there, we're making a powerful movie that makes stunning factual claims. And I have a book, Hillary's America, that backs up the movie, has chapter and verse, has all the supporting footnotes. And we take on very specific claims that the left makes. For example, they say that the Democrats became racially enlightened. And all the bad guys, all the racists became Republicans. This is the idea of Jeez. a big switch. That they, the, and so we confront the big switch in the movie. In fact, we take a list of 1,500 racist Democrats extending all the way back from the 1860s all the way to the year 2000. We put them up on the screen. They're actual pictures. And we say, all right, let's count how many actually switched. It's an empirical question. And we show that the number of people who actually switched is infinitesimal, less than 1%. In other words, this so-called big switch is actually a big lie. But it's a big lie that's peddled by progressive scholars. It's mindlessly repeated in the media. It's treated as if it's conventional wisdom. No, it isn't conventional wisdom. It actually is completely false. Um, it is always a pleasure to talk to you, Dinesh. Um, and I am so glad that uh, I'm actually glad that the, the president put you in, in to jail uh, because I think it sharpened you even even to a finer point, uh, And you know exactly what you're fighting against and fighting for. And, and I think you are a very powerful weapon in the quiver of the conservative movement. Thank you so much, Dinesh. The, uh, the book is out um, uh, on July 22nd, along with the theaters. It is Hillary's America. Now this, you get a phone call from a big security company, and they say, congratulations, you've been selected to have a little sign in the front of your yard, and we're going to give you the free security system. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that's great. But it's not free. Nobody's calling, nobody's buying the security system because of the front yard sign. They're making their money on your $40, 50 or $60 that you pay them every single month. So do you want to be in business with a company that scams you? Or do you want to be in business with a company that makes everything simple and transparent, simply safe? They've created a new home security system that is based on your needs. It's all wireless. It saves you money, $14.99 a month. That's it. 
No contract. You own the system. You can take it with you. It's the highest technology and has 24-7 security with no long-term contract, no contract at all. SimplySafeBeck.com. Go to SimplySafeBeck.com. Get 10% off at SimplySafeBeck.com. Glenn Beck Program. 888-727-BECK. Mercury. Welcome to the um, welcome to the program. I we have to play the Bernie Sanders. We don't have time. No. We'll have to we'll have to do it tomorrow. Up. Do it tomorrow. The, Actually, we could probably play till it gets to the important. Go for it, quick. Uh, all right. But I am happy to tell you that at the Democratic Platform Committee, which ended Sunday night in Orlando, uh-huh. there was a significant coming together between the two campaigns, and we produced. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. 